Welcome to the Persona MBA podcast, where we are asking the top questions on Persona. We have a great guest this week. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and the show? Hey, I'm Ben Ladner. I am the co-host of the Read and React NBA podcast, which you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, we focus on the NBA as a whole and try to go as in-depth and, and get as nerdy as possible on as many subjects as we can. Great, great. And in persona tradition, bacon, eggs, or waffles? Oh, man. I think five years ago, I would have told you bacon, no question. Now I've sort of moved away from that a little more. I think eggs are probably the most practical of the three. They're versatile. You can do them a lot of different ways. You can use them while cooking other things as an ingredient. Um, But I think I would go with waffles. But here's the key. I'm not a fan of like the crispy, like Belgian waffles, like the really thick ones. I much prefer like if you've been to, I live in Atlanta, so I've been to Waffle House probably more than I should. (laughs) Those style, more thin, like soft, fluffy waffles, as opposed to like a a, a super thick, just drizzled in honey Belgian kind of thing. (laughs) Not a huge fan of those. And and is it is it the thickness here? Is that like you're like eating like a cake? Is that is that the problem? Yeah, with it's, the- it's it's yeah, it is, and the crispiness too. It's sort of like it's almost like a shell on the outside before you get into the inside, right? Uh, and it just feels there's something that feels artificial about it to me. So I, I'm more of a fan of something that I can literally sink my teeth into. Right, right. And I'm gonna go ahead and take a wild guess. I've never asked this question on Persona. Is uh, deep dish pizza? I'm assuming is an as a no go for you. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if it's pizza. Like at that point, I just eat lasagna, you know? <laughs> that, is a, that is a good analogy because it it is fundamentally different. You really can't pick it up very well. I mean, you can uh, actually cold leftover deep dish pizza, I think is potentially better than hot because you can actually mm. pick it up and, and eat it like a yeah. cold pizza. But to your point, it's basically lasagna sitting on some bread. So yeah. it is um, interesting. Now I will uh, say, I mean, deep dish has its place. Like I I've been to Chicago a few times, been to Lou Malnati's like you sit down at a deep dish restaurant. It's good. Yes. It's just not necessarily the thing that I'm reaching for. If I have a smattering of pizza options in front of me. Right. Like on my birthday, I tell my wife, I want to pick my lunch and dinner. And that's sort of like the only expectation I have for my birthday. I have no other expectations for gifts or anything like that. And so it's like, if I had to choose a pizza for my birthday dinner, I'm not going deep dish because of kind of what you're talking about. I will say Luminati's having lived in Chicago for about two years, they do have an awesome thin crust version of their deep crust, which Mm. is very, very good. And that was my go-to. And it's like, you know, imagine a deep dish pizza, but it's like more of a, maybe an inch deep or half inch deep kind of deal as opposed to kind of the classic two or three, you know, maybe not two or three, but um, much, much more shallow. And it has the blend of the best of the both worlds because it has the deep dish vibe taste you know wetness i guess for lack of a better word and um yeah so it's a it's a it's a good alternative if you're in chicago and want it that's more my style so let's dive into one of the top questions on persona um which is really around this idea of dame and he had the step back buzzer beater against the bulls and the question that's trending is is he the most clutch shooter in the league yeah, it's a good question. I mean, right now, like at this very moment on what, February 3rd, 2021, I think the answer would have to be yes. He had another one against Washington, by the way, last night that it wasn't like a buzzer beater or a game winner, but it kind of sealed the game and put it out of hand. I mean, he's he's probably, depending on how you feel about 
Steph Curry, he and Steph are like the two best long range shooters. No question off the dribble from 30 feet. I mean, at this point, like you could argue Dame has better range than Steph, which sounds crazy. <laughs> but I mean, I, like if, if, you know, at this point he might've surpassed him um, as far as clutch shooting, obviously the, the shot against the Rockets in like 2012, 2013, whatever that was, the one against the Thunder a few years ago in the playoffs where he waved goodbye was awesome. So it's, I mean, I think by reputation, it's hard to say that he's not the best clutch shooter. I would have to look at the the numbers to literally say, you know, who has the best percentage, who's made the most shots or whatever. But I think he even has, I think he does rank pretty highly on that list anyway. So yeah, I mean, like it takes a certain guy to really have the stones, you know, to take those shots and, and the skill to actually hit them. You know, there are a lot of players in the league who are willing to take the last shot. There are much fewer who can actually hit the shot and do it at a reliable rate and create the space to make that a good shot, you know? Um, and, and he does that, especially at his size, you know, to be able to create the separation necessary to have the strength to do it from so deep to have, you know, as, as much as he does in his bag to kind of keep defenses off balance where they don't know what he's going to do. They don't know if he's stepping back left or right or driving to the basket or pulling up or whatever it is. So yeah, I mean, there aren't a lot of guys in the league right now. I would rather have the ball in their hands at the end of the game than Dame. Yeah. And I, I think one thing that comes to my mind is the kind of iconic moments that you talked about, right. And in, in this question scope, I think Dame benefits from having a worse team because they're in more competitive games more regularly. And so there are more often situations he has to hit those shots. And when I think of Steph's kind of backlog of these shots, I think of the thunder shot uh, that he nailed, you know, kind of that runner, but like in general, I bet Steph's sort of clutch shot is when the other team's making a run, they cut it down to six and he hits a three to make it nine and they seal the deal and they end the game. Like no one remembers that three. And so I do wonder if like, how do you kind of, it's like, how do you structure who might be you know, in a situation who has more iconic moments. And uh, Dame certainly is in that. And I think Jordan uh, had a similar process, right? I mean, the shot over the Cavaliers and all those things, like th- that part of his journey and his career because the games were close. And so Steph, I do think, needs to be discounted a little bit because his games are you know, typically a higher margin victory. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting comparison. Yeah, it's sort of a, the Russell Westbrook 2017 argument where he had all these great stats in the clutch, Uh, And then you look at Kawhi Leonard, who just like never played in the clutch because his team was winning by 15 points every game. Um, So, yeah, there's certainly like a a caveat that comes with this. You have to, I guess, be in a certain type of situation to do it. But I do think this season that could help Dame's MVP case. Like if CJ is going to be out for a little while, he was playing awesome, by the way. Um, But now without CJ, without Nurkic, without Zach Collins, you could go down the list of the guys they're missing. I mean, this is rightfully or not like if you hit enough clutch shots in a season you're going to get some mvp buzz just because you'll get that narrative momentum going your way and he's also going to have the numbers and the efficiency and the production to back it up so i mean right now i think it's Embiid, Jokic. maybe you consider lebron in that category too but depending on how the injury situation kind of shakes out for portland if if dame is able to kind of recapture what he did toward the tail end of last season and just carry a depleted team to like, I don't know, a six or seven seed. And that might be enough to kind of fuel his MVP argument, given the expectations for that team, the talent they have, and like how he raises them relative to what they should be on paper. Yeah, that's a, that's a great kind of point there is that my 
co-host and co-founder, uh, we argue that quite a bit of like how much is a narrative important in the MVP piece and uh, me being a Bucks and Giannis fan uh, and him, uh, I don't really know exactly what team, but he, he loves LeBron. And so, you know, especially last year, it was sort of narrative versus performance and you had Giannis playing, you know, 30 minutes a game kind of deal. And like, yeah, so that is absolutely a huge part uh, of the MVP and Dame certainly gets to add a nice check mark to that front. Let's switch topics a bit here. And this question is very popular on Persona right now, which is the Pelicans are looking to deal JJ Redick. There's some destinations being floated around the 76ers, Nets, Celtics. Where do you think the best fit for JJ Redick might be? I think probably Philly. And not just because he had arguably the best years of his career in Philly. Um, I, I just, I mean, they still, even with Seth Curry in there, even with Tobias Harris shooting the ball a little bit better, even with Embiid shooting a career high from three, I think they're still a little light on shooting and especially dynamic shooting. Like they sort of replaced what they had with Redick with Seth Curry. But the big difference is that while Curry is maybe even a better spot up guy at this point, just straight catch and shoot, no dribble shooting and probably a better off the dribble. Actually, I would say definitely a better off the dribble shooter than Redick. I, I, want, I think you need, especially with Embiid, you need a guy who can come around a screen, shoot off of movement, you know, sprint 100 miles an hour and rise up into a, a three off a DHO or off a pin down or whatever it is. Uh, and and Redick and Embiid had a ton of success in that two-man game the last time Redick was in Philly, or I guess I should say the only time he was in Philly. That was, that was kind of their bread and butter on offense. They don't really have that guy. Curry isn't that guy. Shake Milton's not that guy. Um, so I think even if he's only playing 10, 15, 20 minutes on a good night, like just to have a guy who can kind of juice your offense with some movement and, and good decision-making too, and just being able to create that initial advantage where either he's getting an open shot or the defense is reacting and now he's getting someone else an open shot where you create the opening that allows Ben Simmons to slash and find another shooter, you know, to, to be able to just have another way to unlock the offense, I think would help them a lot. Boston, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how much he's really going to play in Boston. Certainly, I think they need more depth, but, you know, their identity is more of this athletic defensive team. They already have Kemba Walker and Jeff T at point guard. If they're playing with Redick with either of those guys, that's now two defensive liabilities on the floor. Brooklyn, I just... I mean, they, they might not even have the assets to make that trade, even yeah, with that's my price mm-hmm. as low as it, as it probably is. And then again, I mean, they have Joe Harris, they have Landry Shamit. They kind of have some of these guys who can give you a facsimile of what Redick provides. And then he doesn't really solve the thing that they need, which is defense. And, and frankly, neither does James Harden, but they've kind of, uh, they've made their bet in that sense already. So I'm not really sure he solves that issue. So if, if, if we're assuming that the possibilities are those three teams, Philly, Boston, and Brooklyn, I think Philly makes the most sense and they probably have the best chance of acquiring him just because they have the, I mean, they can, they're sort of in position, whether it's Redick or a a bigger guy like Bradley Beal, if he eventually gets traded Philly, now that Brooklyn is off the table, Philly kind of has the best bargaining chips where they can kind of step in no matter what another team's offer is. They can step in and say, all right, fine. You know, we'll give you, Matisse Thibel. We'll give you Shake right. Milton. If it's Bradley Beal, we'll give you Ben Simmons. You know, they, they have the ability to, to kind of outdo anyone else's offer. So I think both on the court and from a, a realistic acquirement standpoint or acquisition standpoint, I would say Philly makes the most sense. Yeah. I love your point about 
just the movement. It was something as, as a Bucks fan, when the Bucks signed Kyle Korver, I was like, you know, even if Korver comes in and he plays six to nine minutes a game and can get you six points a game on a couple threes, just getting that movement, you know, running the baseline, rather these kind of handoffs, whatever it is, just to free up the space so Giannis can operate feels like a value add. And I kind of I'm reminiscent of that and thinking, you know, JJ is a little bit younger and more athletic and a better defender. That's where Corver was so bad for the Bucks on, yeah. the, on the other side of the court. Uh, but it, it really does help the, the motion of the offense. And so I do think the Sixers are a fantastic fit. You made a comment of like, if it's only these three teams, is there a fourth team that's in your mind that's not on that list? That's like, hey, be amazing for him to go here. Or, or do you think the Sixers are the ultimate best? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could throw the Lakers in there. They're kind of the obvious veteran buy low kind of destination where they could always use more shooting. I still think their starting lineup uh, is a little light there. Uh, Utah, you know, again, is a low minute guy, sort of the role Corver played in Utah right. a few years ago, the last time he was there. Um, Phoenix, you know, I'm kind of looking through the standings here. Any playoff team that that maybe doesn't have quite enough on offense that you feel like maybe they need one or two more guys that can unlock some things in the playoffs, I think could be a solution there uh, because, you know, just the gravity he has, the ability to shoot on the move, like that's going to pry open space in the postseason, even if it's just for a few minutes a game to keep your second unit afloat. So really, I mean, I, I don't know at some point, like the price is going to become too high and you don't want to give up too much for JJ Redick. But if I were in that, you know, one through five or six mix in either conference, he's a guy I would be looking at as someone who's not having a good season, someone who's probably going to bounce back from what he's done so far and you know, maybe you can buy low on him. Maybe he's a guy that like the price is low enough now that you feel like even if it doesn't work out, you're not giving up so much that you're going to be crippled after you do the move. And in a best case scenario, he wins a playoff game or two for you. And, and you, that move kind of pays off. So I think any, any pl- team with realistic playoff aspirations or second round aspirations should be at least exploring this possibility. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see the Bucks consider bringing him back to Milwaukee, which is kind of funny. It's like, I feel like that was a very short stint that is often forgotten. Yeah, that JJ I barely remember him in Milwaukee. Yeah, and he might have only played a half a season. I, I had to have to look that up, but uh, yeah. he certainly only played one season at a max, um, but I believe might might have been a half season. Um, and and I think that that's another team that would be great. And you know maybe they can find a pick from 2030 or something like that that they can try to get him there. But uh, I feel like they don't have enough assets to actually get him yeah. there. But um, I agree. Anyone really competing at that level uh, is this should be considering bringing him on. Totally buy that. Let's move to our third and final answer on Persona, which is buy or sell. NBA insiders pick Steve Ballmer as the league's best owner. Off the top of my head, I mean, it's hard to say he's not in that mix. Like, I think you could put Joe Lacob in there too. Really what you're looking for is someone who's willing to spend. That's that's key. If you're not paying the luxury tax, you're not in this conversation. and Or not willing to pay the luxury tax for a good team. Uh, and then someone who doesn't meddle with the front office. Like, you know, you can look at a guy like Tillman Fertitta as sort of the antithesis of this in both senses, right? He is unwilling to pay the luxury tax, no matter what, no matter how many times he says, we're not going to let the luxury tax prevent us from building a good team. He's never paid the luxury tax. He's never going to. Um, so he's, he's prohibit he's prohibiting his team from being as good as it could be. And then he's also meddling in the front office and, and you know, that those two things are sort of related 
the stinginess and the meddling. But, you know, you see it like a guy like Vivek Renadive, you know, who sort of sabotaged the Kings on accident for a long time because he wanted his guys. He wanted to draft the guys he liked, get the free agents he liked. Uh, and that handicapped the front office from doing their job. So you want a guy that's going to stay out of the way. You want a guy that's going to pay the luxury tax. Um, I think the Holtz in San Antonio are, are a decent example of this too. Uh, but Balmer, you know, he's got deeper pockets than anyone in the NBA. And he's shown that he's willing to pay the tax to assemble a competitive team. And then he's not stepping in the front office and saying, you know, Hey, get this guy. We could really use this guy, draft this guy, whatever. He's letting the front office do its job. And the Clippers have a good front office, which is, you know, even more important there when you like, if you're prohibiting capable people from doing a good job, that's especially costly relative to if, if you have an incompetent GM or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think at this moment, given where the Clippers are in the championship picture and given, you know, what we've seen from Balmer, I think he and, and Lake would be the two guys that I would point to and the Clippers have a better team right now. So I think that, I mean, that's not a reflection of Balmer, but it, it does sort of allow Balmer to prove himself in a way that Lake can't because the Warriors aren't going to win the championship, no matter how much Joe Lake pays this season. Whereas paying the luxury tax and paying a huge luxury tax bill could actually pay off in a championship for the Clippers this year. Yeah. And I think your point about the, the wealth of Steve Ballmer. I mean, I think often as casual fans are like, Oh, they're, they're all rich. And it's like, well, Steve Ballmer is like rich asterisk rich. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he's, he's truly at this kind of next level compared to a lot of the owners in the league, especially some of the family owned um, teams as well. And like, I mean, he's in just an entirely different scale. And so it is interesting to see him kind of use this as an outlet to be competitive. And, and like, as you said, as long as you kind of let great people do great work, um, you're probably going to be in the co- conversation for best owner. You didn't mention Mark Cuban. And I was just like, is that like, is he up there in that tier one for you? Or is he, does, do you feel like he meddles a little bit too much? Like, how do you think about Cuban in this conversation? Yeah, he feels a little involved to me maybe overly so. I don't think he's a bad owner. I think he actually gets a little bit of a bad rap sometimes just because of how demonstrative he is on the sideline and all that. Ballmer actually is pretty demonstrative too. Yes. <laughs> but I think Cuban, he's fine. I don't, I don't think he is hurting the Mavs or you know, hurting their chances of, of having success or anything. And, and he's also another just super rich guy who, who is not going to let the luxury tax stop him from putting together a good team. So I would put him probably in the top 10 if I were kind of gaming this out and ranking everyone. But again, it's sort of the theory with the Warriors where like the Mavs probably aren't going to win the championship this year. So that those qualities of being a good owner aren't necessarily going to manifest this season in the way that they could for Balmer. Yeah, I think the the thing that I think about as it relates to this part is, you know, Balmer's early in his journey, right? And so he's excited. The team's good. He pulled off the Kawhi, Paul George thing. And so there's a lot of, I think, you know, it's sort of like he's in the honeymoon phase of owning an NBA team. And the thing that I got to give Cuban credit for is that like he went through that phase and his team wasn't very good. He got his team all the way to the championship lost, you know, Dirk, you know, obviously to retirement, whatnot. And now he's actually in a position to potentially have a contending team in the next five years. And like, talk about like a long marriage uh, and a commitment to that. And so that's, I think a piece that I'm interested to see how Balmer kind of navigates this next phase of the Clippers that, 
you know, maybe it won't be, you know, bottom team in the league, but, you know, a lottery pick level for a few years or something like that in the next five to 10 years, how does he navigate that? And I think Cuban has handled himself very well from, from bottom to top back to middle and now potentially back to the top. And so I do think that's one thing that Cuban probably should a little more credit for too, that Balmer is probably riding the wave of like, you know, this is easy. Like I, yeah. I ran this tech company and now I bought this basketball team and we're like, awesome. And it's like, you know, okay, well, <laughs> the going will get tough at a certain point. And you know, how do you navigate that? But we yeah. shall see. that's a great point. The, the longevity to stay in the game for this long and have the patience and the same willingness to spend that you, you to maintain that, that that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And, and certainly too, you know, I, I would love to see a metric somewhere and I, I doubt it exists, but uh, it'd be really interesting to me to see like, how many games does the owner go to depending on the performance of the team? Right. Yeah. So like, you know, are there owners that just don't really show up when the team's bad or they only show up for the big marquee game, you know, whatever it may be. And I have a feeling that Balmer and Cuban would both be in the camp that like, I think at least Cuban has demonstrated that, Hey, the team could be losing a ton of games and he'll be out there like booing just along every other yeah. maps season ticket holder. And so like, that's a part that I, you know, I, I respect and appreciate. And I think Balmer would do the same, but yeah, yeah I'll see. Well, I appreciate you joining the show and answering some of the top questions on Persona. If you could remind our listeners where to find you in the show. Sure. Yeah. You can listen to the Read and React podcast uh, on anywhere you get podcasts. We cover the entire NBA uh, with as much depth and nuance as we possibly can. Uh, I'm on Twitter at bladner underscore if you want to find me there. You'll probably, it'll probably only be uh, work related things. And then I also do some some writing about the NBA, um, kind of exploring specific topics and going in depth and kind of fleshing those out. Uh, that's usually on fansided.com, the step back uh, with fansided. And you can also find that uh, on my Twitter page. That's probably the easiest way to get any of this stuff. Great. And uh, appreciate you for being on the show. And thank you for everyone for listening.